were generous with your son. Help our hearts not to be captured by the things that are around us, promising us joy and contentment that leads us to discontentment. Lord, we ask that you'd speak to us through Romans today, and we would understand your word. Speak to each of us, and we pray this in your name. Amen. I want you to imagine a couple scenarios and to just think about how patient would you be if? How, what would you do? How patient would you be if this scenario happened? If you deposited your paycheck, or maybe you have auto deposit, whatever, you, you, your money goes into the bank where it's supposed to go, and you go to retrieve that money, and it's not there. And so you think, well, I better check in with the bank, and you call, and you get a hold of your branch manager, and you say, hey, a, a, a deposit went in last week, the balance isn't there. And they say, oh, let me look. Oh, sure enough, I see that. Oh, I needed a new boat, so I used that money. How patient would you be in that moment, right? No, no, with my account, with, with my name on it, not your account. With your, you, would, you would go ballistic, right? I mean, this is a criminal thing. You took my money. Wouldn't be very patient with that, would you? Or think of this one. You went and uh, your phone was acting up, right? Our precious phones. Mine's a hand-me-down from my daughter, Lauren. That's why it's pink, and I tried to, or a hand-me-up, I should say. That's why I tried to cover the pink. But anyways, it's not working. So you go to the Apple store, you go to the Verizon store, wherever you go, and there's a 17-year-old snarky kid there that's like, well, you don't know how it works. Mm -hmm. And um, they're like, you know what? Yeah, this is messed up, but I wiped it clean. I did a factory reset for you. It's as good as new. What about all my photos? Oh, those are gone. What about all my contacts? No, no, it's clean. It's good as new. You're like, I'm going to wring your neck, kid. All my appointments, all my photos. And what did you just reset my phone, right? How patient would you be with that? Not very patient, right? So maybe some would rejoice. I'm free. I don't have to answer any text. Or you go to the doctor. And you're having terrible stomach pain. And it's just hurting and something's wrong. And the doctor says, okay, here, take this. We'll check in in two weeks. And you're not getting better. And your stomach's getting worse. And I can't eat. And I, what's going on? And you go back, doc. It's not working. You know, let me look at what I prescribed. Oh, that was for hair regrowth. <laughs> like, that would explain the hairy shoulders, but my stomach's in it, right? Oh, I didn't really read the prescription. I just gave you one. How long would that be your doctor? Right? They'd be, they'd be terrible, right? If people say they're, they're supposed to have integrity, they're supposed to perform the service you want, they're supposed to, you know, be a doctor that's paying attention. If they're not, we'd be, that's it. You're fired. You're gone. We're pressing charges. It's a problem. But when we flip it around, we can assume that God gets impatient with us just the way we would be upset at those scenarios. Because have we ever promised something and not come through? Said, I'm going to be there, I'm not there. Said, oh yeah, I'm paying attention to your word. I'm not really paying attention to your word. I mean, we've said, we've made, maybe you made some um, New Year's resolutions. I'm going to be in the word this year. I'm going to pray. And you didn't even get out of January. And the way we would get impatient and frustrated with people in our lives who don't come through and fail us, we start to apply that with God. He must be pretty tired of me by now. You ever think that? He must be tired of me asking for help with that thing again. 
He must be getting real weary of me making that promise and not keeping that promise. He probably wants to fire me like I would fire my banker or fire my phone fixer or fire my doctor, right? He's just got to be done. You know what? You're going into the JV group. I'm just going to focus on the varsity, right? He's like, I'm... But that's not really how God works. And so I'm hoping today that we'll see in this passage that that Christ gives us every reason to be confident in God. Confident that he's not ready to throw you off the bus. He's not, he's not done. He spent too much on you. And he's not up there just going, when are they going to get it? Right? We have great reason in Christ to be confident in who we are in God, how he's viewing us through Christ. We don't live on this edge of constant failure and disappointment because of what Christ has done. So that's what we're going to focus on today. We're in Romans 5. The main part I want to cover today is verses 6 through 11. But I want us to read 5, 1 to 11 because it's one flowing argument. I did verses 1 to 5 last week, but the arguments flow together. This Romans is too rich to do big chunks. It's just too deep, so we've got to take little chunks. But let's read 5, 1 through 11 and get the context, and then we'll zero in on the 6, to, six through 11. So Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So that's the full chunk. If you want, if you missed last week's, they're available uh, uh, Northwest Church Bellingham's our YouTube page. If you want to catch up from last Sunday, but we want to look at this idea of being confident in God, that we can be secure in our relationship with God because of Christ. So I'm going to give us, or Paul gives us five reasons to be confident. Five reasons. So I'll give them to you. Reason number one: Christ's death for the unworthy. When we see just what Christ has done, it takes away that sense that God's ready to fire you and get rid of you, and you realize how, how much you're in him. So Christ's death for the unworthy comes from verses 6 through 8. That's the first one, Christ's death for the unworthy. For while we were still weak, it means while we were helpless, unable to solve our own problem, unable to deal with where we're at in sin. While we're still weak, while we're still helpless, at the right time, Christ died 
for the ungodly. This poor woman will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Like someone might give their life for a a good person, a friend, a family member. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is just the heart of the gospel, that Jesus saved sinners. Not sinners that figured it out and sinners that made a new plan and sinners that started getting their act together. And he said, okay, you're showing me a little something there. I'll take it the rest of the way. Now, in the middle of being sinners, while we were still, yet, it's an ongoing state. I think it's important we remember where we came from in Romans a couple months ago. We were in chapter 3. And chapter 3 makes it very, 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 very clear where humanity starts with God. We don't start good and then turn bad and then come back to good. We start bad. We start bad. And so chapter 3, I just want to read that again, shows us where we are at. It says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's a pretty tough list, isn't it? (laughs) No one, none, everyone's account. No one's going to say, well, I obeyed and I did a pretty good job. You say, no, actually you didn't. You failed, and this list shows that you failed. That's who God died for, right? That's, That's who. Sinners, helpless, weak rebels not fearing him and it says he shows his love he demonstrated love there's a big difference right between someone telling you they love you and someone demonstrating this was a very living example at my house this week and i sincerely sincerely appreciate your prayers about a week and a half ago i picked up a weight that was too heavy for me uh, the, the irony is I wasn't using it. I was at the gym, and they're like, hey, we're gonna, all going to clean up. And I was using little light, fluffy weights because I'm frail now. And, uh, but there was this giant dumbbell in the way. It's like, oh, I'll just put that away. Whoop! And I went, hmm, hmm, that's going to be a problem. And about five, six days later, I collapsed on the office floor face down, and Heather had to come get me in. Pastor Mark had to help me up, and I crawled into the back of the car and was in bed for a few days with back spasms. So here's how Heather demonstrated love. I couldn't put my socks on. I couldn't get myself dressed. And so she's doing it, and there was this sense of, like, sorrow, and then this sense of, like, man, this is where this is heading? You guys haven't told me. (laughs) This is where this is going. I'm not going to be able to dress myself. I'm going to have to have help putting my socks and shoes on and yeah yep you're like yeah get over it okay 
But that's, that was my reality for a few days this week. But I, I sincerely appreciate it. I know many of you were praying, and I appreciate that and could feel that. And here I am today. I'm good standing or laying. Sitting, not so much. So, um, But the, Heather showed me that she's, you know, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, you know, taking off smelly socks and helping me get in and out. Like, she demonstrated love. I love you. I'm doing this for you. And that's what we see with Christ. His death for the unworthy is a demonstrated love. Didn't love some people who were lovely. He loved rebels. Right? He loved people who were a hostile. He loved a world that wasn't even looking for him. Right? Because no one was seeking God. And so that's one reason, right? Reason one that you can say, I can be confident in God even when I fail because his death was when you already were a failure. And he showed it by dying in your place. All right, reason two, we are justified by his blood. Right? That's the part of verse nine there. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. He's just saying that. Thank you for the blood applied. Justified, declared righteous, right? our guilt taken off of us. What's with the blood? Can you imagine if you had knew nothing of Christianity, nothing of faith, and you were plunked into this room about 10 minutes ago, and like, these people are singing about blood. They're either all pre-med, or they have a weird fascination, or it's a cult, but what's with the blood, right? What's that all, why are they singing about blood? This is why in Leviticus 17.11, God's explaining uh, why they don't drink blood and use blood in wrong rituals it says for the life of the flesh is in the blood and i have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls if you lose all your blood right you're dead if you get a blood disease you don't live very long the blood is he says the life is in the blood he says and i gave you blood to make atonement for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life so when the blood initially in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, when the blood of an animal was poured out, that life was given to cover you in exchange for your sin that the lifeblood of an animal was given. And then when Christ comes along as God's perfect lamb of God, the lifeblood of Jesus the Messiah was given for you. And it's the blood that makes atonement. Right? First Peter, he says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Jesus didn't come down, amass a treasure's hoard and say, all right, I've bought all these people out of their slavery to sin and death with all this, this treasure hoard, with all this gold. And it's like, no, 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 that's just money. He says, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That's how we're justified, with the life blood of the Savior, the one who invented blood. Right? It says all things were created through Christ, so he invented humans. He put together our whole system that requires blood and circulatory system and how the lungs bring the oxygen and the heart pumps it around. And the, He put all that in place, and then he gave it for us. So the reason you can be confident in God is that he poured his blood out for you. He's not done with you. He paid the highest price for you. All right, reason three, we're saved from the coming wrath. 
The reason you can be confident in God. So in verse 9, it's the second half. He says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. He has these kind of escalating statements. If he did that, if he poured out his blood, if he shed his blood, if he was the sacrifice, if he did that, how much more then can we be confident because he's gonna, we're going to be saved from the wrath of God? We're just going to take that head on. Some people don't want to think there's wrath. We like the save, 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 save part, but we're not so sure we like the judgment part. They're both coming. It's coming. There is a wrath of God. It means punishment, anger. This is it in 2 Thessalonians 1. He says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. Now here's the key. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you is believed. That's just one such passage. The scriptures are very clear that the, there's a day of the Lord, there's a day of wrath, and it will be for those who reject Christ, who say, I don't want your sacrifice, I don't want your blood, I won't bow the knee. It says you suffer punishment away from God's presence. God's presence is life and peace and health and eternity. Away from God's presence is destruction and torment and suffering and even if we don't like that thought, that's the thought. The scripture is very clear. It's those two options, right? And he says, some people, if you're in Christ, he's going to appear and we're going to rejoice. There he is. He's coming. If you're not in Christ, it's a moment of sheer terror. So you can be confident in God because you're saved from that. When you're in Christ, you don't face wrath. You're not sent away from his presence. You're permanently in his presence. You're not suffering destruction. You're experiencing life. Let me just appeal to you in this moment. Turn to Christ. You can be saved from that. You do not have to face eternal judgment. You can have eternal life. Turn to Christ. It's the only way. It's the only one whose blood is poured out, the only one risen, the only one who can save. You need to be saved. You'd be saved by saying, Jesus, you are Lord. Wash me, cover me in your blood. I'm yours. It's that simple. You don't know how long you have. You don't know when your number's up. You might think I'm going to live a long time. You don't know. Jesus might come this afternoon. I don't know. Now is the time. Now is the time. If you want to know more about that, stay after the service. Don't leave until you've talked to somebody about being saved. But that's a reason we can be confident in God. He doesn't say, I had you for a while. It's like, yeah, you know, I'm tired of you. All right, you're back in the wrath camp. No, you're saved. In Christ, you have eternal life. That means you're in his presence. Fourth reason is that we were reconciled while enemies. Reconciled while enemies. It says in two spots there in verses 10 and 11. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. And here the idea of reconciliation means the idea of an exchange. 
that something was traded. You were, you were over here in the enemy camp, and you've been switched into the family camp, right? You were in one camp, and now you're here. You've been moved. You've been exchanged. We've been reconciled. We've been put back in the right category. He says, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, are we, shall we be saved by his life? And then again, the end of verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It's not later. Like now, in Christ, you are now brought into his family. You are now exchanged out of one group into the other. It's not later, now. Now. Colossians 1 has this picture of being switched. He says, And you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled you. Hear that? That's, you have now been flipped over. You've been exchanged. He's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Right? You are in the hostile camp. Now you're in, you've been made holy and you're presented before him. You're in his family. Right? He says that in the beginning of John 1, to those who believed in his son, he gave them the right to become children of God. You're moved into his family. So we're reconciled when we were enemies, right? He says we were reconciled while we were enemies, not while we were nice and said we're sorry when we're enemies. So if he's willing to move you into his family in that state, he's willing to keep you in his family. All right, the fifth one here, we are saved by his life. That's the fifth reason we can be confident. We are saved by his life. It's the second half of verse 10, right? If we were reconciled while enemies, again, much more. If he's willing to do that, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? This one is one that John reads all the time. And I always think, I don't know what that means. But I like that you read it, John. But I'm like, what does that really mean? What does it mean that we're saved by his life? Right? We're reconciled by death. What does it mean that we're saved by his life? Because we, we understand that Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose again on the third day and was witnessed and is now ascended to heaven. So what does it mean we're saved by his life? And it means that we don't follow a dead spiritual guide. You can follow spiritual guides, Christian or not. Right? There's, I talked a few weeks ago, I've been reading the stories of this guy called Robert Mueller. And so I can read the stories of his great faith and the orphanages he started, and I can, I can emulate that. But Robert Mueller does not come to my office and say, let me show you how to pray. Let me show you what faith looks like. I can read his example. I can try, but he's not helping. Right? Some, some you might even say, yeah, he makes it worse because I don't have faith like that. It makes me feel terrible and I put it away and just watch sports. I'm talking about other people, of course. Um, right? Spiritual guides that are dead don't help you. Spiritual gurus don't help you. They guide you. They say, here's a path. Here's a this is why Jesus is not just a spiritual teacher that showed a way to be nice, a way to help the poor, teaching spiritual principles. That's not what he does, right? That would be someone who's dead that shows you a direction, gives you advice, you try to do what they did. That's a spiritual guide who's dead. Jesus is not a spiritual guide. He's a living Savior. Right now, he can help you. 
not just by trying to do the things he did. He's actually interceding for you. He's alive right now helping you. We'll get to this in a few well, months probably. Romans eight thirty one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Right? Who shall say, not that one? Not that one. Oh, they failed. It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He's praying for you right now. He's not just saying, this is the things you need to do. Try really hard. He's saying, I'm in heaven at the right hand of the Father, saying, yeah, I know that one's weak, but we love him anyways. I know that one doesn't even know how to pray, but I'm praying on their behalf anyways. I know they don't even know what's coming around the corner, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit to help them. Right now, he's helping you. It says that in, uh, same with Hebrews, it talks about how Jesus is a priest, meaning someone that goes between God and man. And he compares the difference between Jesus and human priests. He says the former priests, the human priests, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing. When you're dead, you're not the high priest anymore, right? It's just very uncomfortable otherwise. So they died. But he holds his priesthood permanently, this time on Jesus, because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Same thing, right? He's interceding. He's not a priest who did some things, died. Boy, that was helpful. He lives forever. He's forever your go-between. God and you is Jesus Christ. And so he's able to save to the uttermost. He can save to the very last degree. And he's always making intercession. Isn't that really interesting? We think we're praying to God and Jesus is going, yeah, I'm interceding for you all the time. I'm stepping in. I'm helping. I'm guiding. I don't know exactly how that looks, but it says he's doing. We've seen two passages now that he's going between for us right now. So that's how we're saved by his life. And then here we just handled this beautifully in our John class. Come here at 9 o'clock, and we're going through John. We were in this passage this morning. This is what's such a big deal about Jesus being alive. He can say, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. That's what this means when we're saved by his life. If he's dead, he can't say, I'm building you somewhere to live and I'm going to take you there. He can say, there's the path. Good luck. I hope you make it. Don't fall off the cliff. That's what spiritual guides say. Living Savior says, I've done everything you can't do. I've actually built a dwelling place. Oh, and I'm going to get you there. I'm going to come and get you and make sure you get there. That's what a living Savior can do, not a guide. And so that's... We can have great confidence that Christ, it's not, he's not just somewhere back there telling you what to do. He's above praying and interceding and bringing you there and preparing the place. He's active. We are saved by his life. So it says Christ gives us every reason to be confident in God. We talked a little bit about this 
word, this idea of confidence last week is the same word we looked at. In the ESV, they render it rejoice. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same word we saw in uh, verse 2 and 3, that it's literally the rejoice. It's to boast or to be confident. It's the thing you can look to and say, because of this, I know I'm secure. So we, we've got to translate. Now we rejoice in God through our Lord we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're confident in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can say, God's got me. He's not throwing me off the bus. He's not tired of that prayer. It doesn't mean he doesn't want, want us to make steps and grow and develop and mature. But he's not, he's not tossing you out the second we mess up. We can be confident. We can rejoice. We can boast in our connection with God because of what Christ has done. Because isn't it easy to become insecure and be hostile to yourself? I found that I don't need other people to tell me I'm not doing well like that. I'll tell me, right? Because like, you'll, you'll fail at something, and then it's not that you just fail. You're like, because, and then you'll fill in, because that's who I am. I'm the guy who always fails, or because that's it. I'm the guy who can't get it straight, or that's it, because I'm the guy who can't set my alarm. So I, And you start labeling, and you become insecure, and think, if I'm tired of me, God must really be tired of me. And if I can't get it straight, he's just done being my intercessor. And, and we get real hostile to ourself. Our self-talk becomes negative. And that's not what we just read. We just read, we rejoice in God. We boast in God. We say, yeah, but at least God's got me. So you need to talk back. You need to talk back to your insecurities. And if you have to literally do it in the mirror, that's fine. Make sure you shut the door so somebody doesn't think you're going crazy in there. But uh, you might literally need to talk back when you start seeing that, you know what, you're terrible and you're the worst Christian and I fail and God can't use me. And you say, yeah, but Christ died for me when I was a sinner. That's still true. You talk back. Say, yeah, but I'm justified in his shed blood. He must have thought it worthwhile because he did it. Poured all that blood out. He must want me around because I'm saved from the coming wrath. He must want me. Forever is a really long time. And he made a spot for you to be there. It doesn't say yours is in the back behind a tree next to the dumpster, right? It doesn't say that. You're building a place for you. Right? So he must want you there. You talk back. You say, yeah, but I'm failing and I don't... Yeah, but I'm in his family. He moved me out of the hostile enemy camp into his family. Not as an in-law. Right? It's adoption. You get the family name. You're not an in-law. You're not, you're not fostered. You're fully adopted into his family. And you're saved by his life. He's right there. Interceding right now. He knows, right? He's familiar with our suffering. He's familiar with life on earth. He knows what it is to struggle. He says, so I'm, I'm interceding. I'm praying. I'm going ahead. I'm sending my angels. I'm filling you with the Spirit. I'm doing all the things to guide you, to lead you. And so when that voice starts saying, that insecurity starts saying, yeah, but you failed, and yeah, you didn't, and you just talk back. You go to a passage just like this and say, well, here's what's true. So I can be confident in God. Doesn't mean we don't ask for help. Say, boy, I'd really like to turn the corner. Doesn't mean we don't turn to brothers and sisters and say, help me. It doesn't mean we just say whatever. 
but we don't throw away our confidence. We don't have to feel insecure and a failure because that just spirals. We need you preach to yourself the truth. If I'm in Christ, these things are true. These things are true. And so I can be confident, which actually allows us to move forward and make changes because we know he's interceding. You're not alone. You're not walking alone. So this week, when that voice comes up, open this passage and say, let's walk through these. Whichever one, oh, I'm in his family, he's shed blood, I'm reconciled, he saved me. And you just push the voice of the enemy, the voice of fear, the voice of lies out with this truth. Why don't we pray? Lord, we thank you that you would pull us into your family. Lord, I pray for any who are just feeling that discouragement today, the the enemies in their ears saying, yeah, but you did, but you did. And then our own mind tells us, yeah, but I didn't and I didn't. Lord, we just start fresh. Oh, we confess our sin. It says you're faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we just ask for a cleansing today. Lord, we pray for any who need to believe in you right now. They do not know that they're saved. They do not know whether they will escape wrath and they need to call on you. If that's you and you want to just make Jesus, you want to say, I want in. I want you to be the Lord. I want you to be the Savior. You can just pray to him right now. Say, Lord, I need to be forgiven. I am a rebel who can't save myself. Would you save me? I believe in you. I trust you. I know that you're alive. Would you cleanse me? that's you you prayed that prayer i'd love just to i'm looking at you just wave your hand i'd love to follow up with you just give me a wave saw that it's just me looking anyone else want to make sure i see you i want to follow up with you this week lord we just thank you for this one would you confirm in their heart that you've got them and lord we'd pray that each of us would focus on you Focus on the truth. We'd be confident in you because of Christ, not because of us, because of Christ. And would you lift us forward? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.